Hey, this is Brooke speaking. Welcome to the first and probably last episode of Chilling Chats, a podcast I made for my final history project of my high school career. Side note, what a wild time to graduate, huh? (laughs) Anyways, back on topic. To be honest, there probably won't be another one of these, but who knows? my newfound free time, I might just end up making a few more of these based on the weird, the spooky, the fascinating, and the downright scary stories that come out of our world. But for now, let's dive into the tale of one of America's most notorious and uncaught serial killers, the Zodiac Killer. December 20th, 1968, Vallejo, California. Lake Herman Road, a small little connector between the towns of Benicia and Vallejo, was a spot frequented by local teens and couples as a sort of lover's lane. It was the premier date spot for any young couple looking for peace and quiet. And that's exactly where Betty Lou Jensen and David Faraday found themselves on what was set to be their very first date together. Around 11 p.m., when the two were set to arrive home together, witnesses found the pair's vehicle still parked at their spot on Lover's Lane and their bodies lying just outside of it. David's body, found lying just outside of the passenger door, had a bullet hole going through his head. He was barely alive and would ultimately not survive the attack. Betty, on the other hand, was located a short distance from the car. She had tried to get away, but to no avail. She lay no more than 28 feet from the car, face down, with five bullet wounds in her back. She too would not survive. Officers found what looked to be either warning shots set to lure the unsuspecting couple from their car, or shots that had simply missed their marks around the vehicle, along with shells from a 22 caliber semi-automatic pistol. Authorities didn't know it yet, but this was no random one-off double homicide. This would be the first in a series of murders by one of the world's most notorious serial killers, the Zodiac. July 4th, 1969, Vallejo, California. 22-year-old Darlene Farron and 19-year-old Michael Magoo had stopped in the parking lot of Blue Rock Springs Golf Course. The couple noticed another car pull into the lot with them and leave, only to return yet again a few minutes later. A man proceeded to get out of the car, brandishing a 9mm Luger and a bright flashlight, shining it into the couple's car so they could not identify him. At first, Michael thought he was a cop and rolled down his window to offer the man his ID. He was then shot, first in the jaw, and soon more bullets found their way into his leg and shoulder whilst the man opened fire into the car. The perpetrator fled, but not until he fired two more shots into each victim. A group of teens stumbled upon the crime scene and called the cops. Responders tried their best, but unfortunately, Darlene Farron did not survive. Michael, however, miraculously managed to survive and provided a description of his attacker. Short, white, late 20s to early 30s, with a stocky build, brown hair, and a round face. And a little while after they had received that first phone call about the attack, 
The dispatcher received another, more haunting one, from a payphone located not too far from the crime scene. Quote, I want to report a double murder. If you will go one mile east on Columbus Parkway, you will find kids in a brown car. They were shot with a 9mm Luger. I also killed those kids last year. Goodbye. The killer had made himself known, and he had struck again. Soon after this second attack, between July 31st and August 4th, three newspapers, the Vallejo Times-Herald, the San Francisco Chronicle, and the San Francisco Examiner, each received a bizarre handwritten letter. Within each letter was one-third of a cipher and a note, detailing the two crimes the author had taken credit for. The author required these letters and their ciphers to be printed on the front page of each paper where he threatened to kill again. In a second letter to the examiner, after they had defied this order and instead printed theirs on the third page, the killer again detailed their crimes. This second letter would start off with the now infamous lines, quote, Dear Editor, this is the Zodiac speaking. Marking the first time the killer referred to himself as such, combined with the first use of the crosshair circle symbol that would become his mark. The ciphers, when put together and decoded, claimed to hold his identity. And they were far less helpful than detectives had hoped. All the decoded message contained was a sick and twisted monologue on why the Zodiac did what he did, why he loved to do it so much, claiming that humans were just so much more fun to kill than any other sort of animal, and, crucially, no identity whatsoever. September 27th, 1969, Napa, California. College students Brian Hartnell and Cecilia Shepard were having a quiet afternoon at Lake Berryessa. The two were relaxing when Cecilia noticed a man, about 200 yards away, staring and watching the couple. He proceeded to get closer and closer to the couple, until Cecilia watched him hide behind a tree. When he came out from behind it, now around 50 yards away, he wore an executioner's-style mask and a bib with a crosshair circle painted on it. He approached the two while holding a gun, claiming to be an escaped convict looking to steal their car and money. He tied the pair up with some pre-cut rope, forced them onto the ground, and proceeded to stab Brian six to seven times in the back, and a fighting Cecilia ten times. Before leaving the couple for dead, he scrawled the date, time, and weapon of the crime into the door of Brian's car, along with his signature crosshair logo underneath. The Zodiac made his way to a payphone nearby, once again calling the crime in himself. Quote, I want to report a murder. No, a double murder. They're two miles north of Park Headquarters, and they were in a white Volkswagen Carmagina. I am the one that did it. While both Cecilia and Brian survived to make it to the hospital, Cecilia would ultimately succumb to her injuries two days after the attack, but not before she was able to describe the man she had seen put on the hood. A bulky white male with brown hair, glasses, around 5 foot 8, 
eerily similar to the description Michael gave of his attacker, helping to prove this was the work of the same man. And, finally, October 11th, 1969, San Francisco, California. 28-year-old cab driver Paul Stein had picked up a man headed into the Presidio Heights neighborhood of San Francisco. At the intersection of Washington and Cherry Street, the passenger went on to shoot Stein in the head. He took a piece of Stein's clothes, his wallet, and keys, and was seen by witnesses cleaning up the crime scene before taking off. The attacker was described by witnesses as a white male between age 25 to 30, 5 foot 8 to 5 foot 9, with a crew cut and glasses, matching the previous descriptions of the Zodiac Killer. However, a miscommunication led to the suspect being inaccurately misidentified as an African-American male. This single screw-up would result in dire consequences. Because police were looking for an African-American man, Officers Donald Falk and Eric Zelms passed or stopped a man that perfectly matched the original description given by witnesses on the street. I say pass or stop, as Falk claims they never did stop anyone that day, whilst a detective on the case distinctly remembers Falk and Zelms telling him about a white male they stopped on the street who perfectly matched the description given by witnesses. The details seem to have gotten a little foggy, it seems. In any case, the result is the same. They had freely let the Zodiac Killer slip between their fingers. No further confirmed Zodiac killings took place after the murder of Paul Stein. The Zodiac went on to send three letters in the weeks after this murder, detailing plans of bombs he would use on children's school buses, new ciphers he claimed would unlock his true identity, and, crucially, ones containing pieces of Paul Stein's torn t-shirt, and a description of an interaction with two cops who had let him get away, confirming Paul Stein's murder was, indeed, a Zodiac killing. He would also go on to send another 14 letters between the remainder of 1969 to his final letter in 1974, detailing his urges to kill, taking credit for over 37 murders, and, in one bizarrely leaving a review of the film The Exorcist, which he called, quote, the best satirical comedy I have ever seen. Now, there are a few other murders attributed to the Zodiac due to their overwhelming similarities to his other crimes, but as they are unconfirmed and for the sake of time, I will not be detailing them today. Maybe in a future episode? Nah, who knows again. There is one encounter I do want to mention, however as it is a chilling account of a woman who may very well just have escaped becoming one of the Zodiac's next victims. March 22nd, 1970. Modesto area, California. 22-year-old Kathleen Johns and her young infant daughter were driving along Highway 132 when a man signaled to her to pull over. He told her that her back tire was loose, but that he could fix it for her no problem. Instead of fixing it, the man proceeded to loosen the lug nuts so that as Kathleen attempted to leave, the wheel fell off. This man then offered to give the two a ride to a nearby gas station, 
which Kathleen gladly accepted. However, Kathleen realized his intentions were not as good as they had seemed. He soon began to make veiled threats toward her and her child. So Kathleen made possibly the life-saving choice to grab her child and jump out of the moving car. The pair hid in a nearby field as a man stopped the car and attempted to search for the two, until he ultimately gave up and left. After arriving at a nearby police station thanks to a different, much less murdery driver, Kathleen was able to identify the man as the same one in the Zodiac's wanted poster. In a later Zodiac letter, he mentions the following, quote, So now I have a little list, starting with that woman and her baby that I gave a rather interesting ride for a couple of hours one evening a few months back. Solidifying that it was indeed the Zodiac killer, Kathleen had almost had a deadly encounter with. Now, there are many, many suspects in the hunt for the true identity of the Zodiac Killer. Lawrence Kane, Richard Gajkowski, and Rick Marshall, to name just a few. Today, however, I will be going into the man that I, and many others believe, to have been the most likely candidate as a Zodiac Killer. Arthur Lee Allen. Arthur Lee Allen, born on December 18, 1933, in Honolulu, Hawaii, had never really been a good man. He'd worked as an elementary school teacher for a number of years, until he was fired due to allegations of molesting his students. One of Allen's former friends, Don Cheney, claims that Allen also made sexual advances on his children as well. As for how Allen connects directly to the Zodiac attacks, the evidence is plentiful. He lived a smooth, 15-minute drive from the locations of the Herman Road and Lake Berryessa attacks, and his home was located 10 minutes away from the very first payphone the Zodiac used to confess his crimes. He owned the same caliber gun as used in the attacks, and he wore size 10.5 boots that shared the exact same size and footprints to those found at several of the crime scenes. Even further, the same day as the Lake Berryessa attacks on Brian and Cecilia, Allen was found at the lake with bloody knives in his car, just like those used in the attack, which he claimed were used to kill chickens. Allen was also known to frequent the IHOP in which Darlene Farron worked as a waitress before her death. Allen was the only suspect to ever be publicly considered by the police, and was the only one ever served a search warrant in connection to the case. Also, when Allen was interrogated by the police in 1971, no Zodiac letters were sent again until 1974. That same year in 1974, Allen was arrested for child molestation charges, and no further Zodiac letters would ever be sent again. While being interrogated by the police, Allen told them that his favorite novel was Richard Connell's The Most Dangerous Game, a book about killing humans for sport. This same book was referenced in a Zodiac cipher sent on July 31, 1969 to the Vallejo Times-Herald, in what may be the most poorly constructed run-on sentence by a murderer known to man. Quote, I like killing because it is so much fun. It is more fun than killing wild game in the forest because man is the most dangerous game of all. Now, that isn't the end of the sentence, but 
I personally don't think I have enough lung capacity to say the whole three-page message in one go. This is where Alan's connections to the Zodiac get a little more circumstantial, but also a little stronger as well. Alan's mother had given him a Zodiac brand watch in 1967, which contained the iconic crosshair logo that would become the popular signature of the Zodiac, and shared the name with the killer. Alan's sister-in-law told police that certain words that were condensed and misspelled within the Zodiac letters matched ones that Alan would condense and misspell in the same way. For instance, in a letter written to attorney Melvin Belly, wishing him a happy holiday, the Zodiac spells Christmas with two S's at the end, the exact same way that Alan misspelled it. Relatives and friends of Alan's also told the police that prior to the Zodiac's release of his first ciphers and letters, Alan had in his possession codes that were identical to those in the letters. Don Cheney, the former friend of Alan, also claims that on January 1st, 1969, Alan said the following to him. That he wanted to kill couples at random, he wanted to taunt police with letters of crimes he would commit, he would sign the letters with his watch's crosshair symbol, he would wear a disguise to commit crimes, would like to fool women into his car by loosening their car tires to give them car troubles, and he wanted a flashlight for his gun to help with hunting, all under the guise of apparently writing a book. When Alan's brother Ron was asked, he said that Don would never lie about something like this and that his words should be believed. Oh yeah, and did I also forget to mention that long before any of the killings began, Alan would refer to himself as the Zodiac, and he asked others to call himself the Zodiac too? Yeah, the freak also did that. Arthur Lee Allen died on August 26th, 1992, at the age of 58 due to natural causes and, despite being interrogated and investigated in relation to the case, he was never formally charged or tried in relation to the Zodiac murders. The two-year span in which these cases took place were huge in the history of mankind, and not just because of this crazed serial killer. Martin Luther King Jr. and Robert F. Kennedy were assassinated. Apollo 8 orbited the moon and the moon landings occurred. The Vietnam War came to a close. The Stonewall Riots took place. And another set of famous murders occurred. The Manson Murders. As for its place in my ranking on the historical importance for this project, I placed it fourth out of four. The reason being that, while it may not have had a worldwide impact like some of the other topics I listed above, the effect the Zodiac had on the populations of Vallejo, San Francisco, Napa, and the surrounding areas was astounding. The public were living in constant fear of this mystery man who would pop up out of the blue, horrifically murder innocent couples, and then proceed to taunt the media and police with sick, twisted letters. People were terrified, taking any and all precautions they could to try and protect one another. Cities were sending police cars to follow children's school buses in the time after one of the Zodiac's letters in which he threatened to bomb a school bus, showing just how immense the psychological impacts this one man was able to have on an entire state, and later the world. They feared for the lives of their children so much that they sent cops to follow their school buses just because of a veiled threat some mystery man had sent out in letters, and they knew to take that threat seriously. 
Zodiac Killer also popularized a lot of traits we see throughout the media when it comes to the portrayal of serial killers. He egged on police during the investigation. He used the media to gain public attention. And he even gave himself a snazzy little nickname of his own. His murder shocked the people of the areas and California as a whole and quickly became one of the most famous and popular unsolved true crime cases among the public. It even bled heavily into pop culture with countless documentaries, books, and movies written on the subject, including 2007's The Zodiac, based on Robert Graysmith's book of the exact same name. Even to this day, over 50 years later, people, like me, are still deep into this case, discussing theories and suspects and possible victims with just as much passion as before. The Zodiac ciphers, both unsolved and solved, inspired many to take up cryptology as a hobby. The couple who ended up cracking the very first Zodiac cipher, Donald and Betty Hardin, were themselves amateurs after all. That's the biggest takeaway, for me at least. This case served as an inspiration for so many people, including myself, to start looking into the fascinatingly dark and gruesome world of true crime, both the cases solved and unsolved. This is the first case I remember ever looking into, and it led me down the rabbit hole of true crime cases. The Black Dahlia, Jack the Ripper, and so on. Some people go on to pursue a career of detective work, or become behavioral analysts, because of cases like these that inspire them to. Or some, like myself, are content with researching theories and following clues, seeing what we might come up with, and sitting in our parents' closet recording a podcast for their school class. It's like we've all been given a puzzle where the pieces look like they just might fit one way. But turn the puzzle slightly and it becomes a whole different, unsolvable mess. That's it. Thanks for listening. Really quickly, I just want to say that it's been a pleasure to be in your class this year, Miss Pedersen, and I want to thank you for everything you've taught me, be it 20th century world history or simply just how to be a better person. And thanks for letting me do my final on a topic I'm so fascinated by. Sources used in my research include ZodiacKiller.com, Biography.com, History.com, Biographics video, The Zodiac Killer, America's Most Elusive Serial Killer. 2007's documentary, This is the Zodiac Speaking. BuzzFeed Unsolved's video, The Horrifying Murders of the Zodiac Killer. And episode 223 of the My Favorite Murder podcast. The podcast which inspired me to do this whole thing in the first place. Good night. <laughs>